press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Tuesday, June 21. Labor frontbencher Tanya Plibersek says she was surprised Anthony Albanese dropped her from the education portfolio and gave her environment and water instead. Plibersek says she's determined to make a difference in her new portfolios, highlighting the Brumbies in the Snowy Mountains and the alarming rate of extinction as priorities. The former homicide detective Ian Speed Kennedy, famous for apprehending the killers of nurse Anita Cobby, has given evidence in the trial of Christopher Dawson, denying he ever tipped off the former schoolteacher his missing wife Lynn was still alive in New Zealand. It's another fascinating twist in the trial of the former schoolteacher who's pleaded not guilty to murdering his wife in 1982. We'll have more on that later in the episode. Swimming has banned trans women competing in elite female competition. It was an overwhelming vote at the Sports Global Congress, with approximately 71% of delegates from national federations voting to allow female transgender athletes to compete only if they did not go through male puberty. Other sports, like world soccer, are going the other way, towards inclusion. Stay with us. In a moment, I'll be back with Chief Sports Writer Jess Halloran on what swimming's big decision means for the rest of world sport. It is my hope that young girls all around the world can continue to dream of becoming Olympic and world champions in a female category prioritising the competitive cornerstone of fairness. That's Australian swimmer Kate Campbell addressing World Swimming's governing body, FINA, before a crucial vote on whether to include trans women in elite female sport. Campbell invoked a different kind of diversity, her own heritage as a young migrant from Malawi arriving in Australia as a child and finding inclusion and a welcome in swimming. However, it is also my hope that a young, gender-diverse child can walk into a swimming club and feel the same level of acceptance that a nine-year-old immigrant kid from Africa did all those years ago. Swimming has just become the first global sport to categorically ban transgender athletes from women's elite events such as the Olympics and Commonwealth Games. It came after the highly publicised victory of trans woman Leah Thomas in American Ivy League college championships earlier this year. Take your mark. There were some swimmers going back to the 1980s at UPenn that disagreed with the decision to allow her to swim to the University of Pennsylvania. This is a hot-button issue. This is the NCAA championships, 4 minutes, 33.24 seconds. She is a winner and she makes... History. Thomas was a former male swimmer who transitioned and then became National Collegiate Athletic Association champion after winning her 500-yard race. I'm joined now by the Australian's chief sports writer, Jessica Halloran. Jess, how significant is Fina's decision? 
Oh, it's an enormous moment for women's sport. This is an issue that's been bubbling along for the last year, but has really garnered a lot of publicity and been a really explosive and divisive issue in the last six months since the rise of Leah Thomas. And what we've seen overnight is FINA coming out and banning trans women from Olympic and world championship level. And so this may well set a precedent, I think, for other sports. FINA doesn't have a great track record when it comes to acting on issues of fairness or athlete welfare. It's been sluggish in acting on reports of abuse of young athletes. And Australians will remember the agonising dithering that went on over swimmers wearing full-body suits that dramatically improved performances. Michael Phelps' world record in the 400 IM at the US trials was the 40th world mark just since February in the laser racing suit. So, Jess, why is FINA suddenly so nimble now? Yeah, I think that it's Leah Thomas. I think she's been the catalyst for it. I think her voicing her hope and her dream of competing at the Olympics in Paris in 2024, I think it set off alarm bells for those at the top of FINA. Let's hear again from Kate Campbell. These are her words, it's not her voice. Women who have fought long and hard to be included and seen as equals in sport can only do so because of the gender category distinction. To remove that distinction would be to the detriment of female athletes everywhere. Jess, we've got the Commonwealth Games coming up in Birmingham later this year and, of course, Olympics not too long after that. So athletics, the other big sporting federations, who's next? Well, I spoke to Lord Sebastian Coe, who's the World Athletics Chief, two weeks ago, and he says they are constantly reviewing their policy, but as it stands, there's still a testosterone limit. There's not an outright ban on trans women. Just last month, we had cycling's ruling body, the UCI, move to strengthen their eligibility criteria for the female category. That was sparked into review by trans woman cyclist Emily Bridges, who had made a bid to compete at the Commonwealth Games, but she was effectively blocked when they said that all transgender guidelines were up for review and she missed the cutoff for qualifying for the Commonwealth Games. But then you've got other sports like we've seen the world soccer body in FIFA now considering an outright inclusive policy. So you've seen some sports completely going one way and and other sports moving radically towards inclusion, you would say. Jessica Halloran is the Australian's chief sports writer. Coming up, a legendary homicide detective enters the witness box in the Christopher Dawson trial. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Week 7 of the Christopher Dawson murder trial is underway in the New South Wales Supreme Court. 
We've heard in recent evidence about Sydney in the 1980s, a really dangerous and dark place. And on Monday in evidence, we heard from one of the cops who was policing that Wild West era in Sydney, Ian Kennedy, known as Speed. Matthew Condon is a senior journalist with The Australian and he's joining me now. Matt, what is Speed Kennedy so famous for? I think many of our listeners would have heard his name. In his heyday, he was instrumental in resolving the hideous Anita Cobby murder in Sydney. So he's a primed detective, extremely experienced, and that's a murder that not just Sydney but Australia will never quite get over. It was the crime that rocked and angered so many Australians and to the core. Nurse and former beauty queen Anita Cobby was just 26 years old when she was raped, tortured and left to die in Sydney. Speed Kennedy walked into the courtroom at about 10.24. I mean, we've had a lot of ex-police officers stroll in there. This guy, even in his 70s, was incredibly tall, imposing. He was wearing quite charmingly, I haven't seen one of these in years, he was wearing a double-breasted suit with brass buttons. And he had a sort of clipped military-style moustache and a very, very loud voice, Ian Speed Kennedy. He relayed that he joined the force, uh, New South Wales Police Force, in 1968 and retired in the year 2000. But why he's of such prominence in this trial is that he featured in evidence about a 1985 school reunion of Sydney Boys High. He was in the class of 65, along with Chris and Paul Dawson. And the evidence had been that at this school reunion in 1985, Speed Kennedy had informed Christopher Dawson that everything would be okay, that his wife was in fact residing in New Zealand. So Speed Kennedy was called to the court to answer questions about that allegation. So we've heard in evidence earlier in the trial, Matt, a couple of different accounts of what Speed Kennedy allegedly said to the Dawson brothers on the night of this reunion. The first version was that they had allegedly heard from him that Lynn was living in New Zealand. We later heard a different version of this from the Dawson brothers' sister that he had told them that she was living in a hippie commune somewhere on the north coast or potentially in Byron Bay. What did he have to say about what he actually said to them that night? Okay, so he he was taken back to that moment in 1985. The allegation, suggestion from the defence was that he had taken Chris Dawson briefly outside the event venue and had informed him that, mate, everything will be okay. Lynn Dawson, your wife is in New Zealand. He said, incorrect. I had no information about Lynn Dawson, whether she was in New Zealand or anywhere. That was his evidence. He was grilled by Dawson's defence counsel, Greg Walsh. Let's hear some of that exchange. These are their words. It's not their voices. Is it a possibility that what occurred was that you, knowing this question, is premised on the basis that you had the knowledge that Lynn had disappeared at the time of the reunion, told Chris, look, mate, she's okay, she's in New Zealand? No, I had no part of any investigation into Lynette's disappearance at all. And I had, if I had received any information, it would have been documented and filed. So what I suggest to you is that it's a possibility that you were just trying to help an old mate You knew his wife had disappeared? I would have liked to have helped an old mate, but I had nothing to do with it whatsoever. And that in those circumstances, you in combination of the reunion, having been affected by alcohol, 
having a good relationship with Chris, said, look, mate, she's okay. She's in New Zealand. I dispute about being affected by alcohol, but I had nothing to do with any inquiry with Lynette Dawson. Matt, it's a really intriguing moment, isn't it? This police officer is essentially being asked if he might have, out of a feeling of goodwill for an old school friend, instead of going through the proper processes, might have just essentially given him the inside word that police knew that she was in New Zealand and he had nothing to worry about. What was the tone of his reaction to being asked those questions? Very, a very firm, unequivocal response. In many instances, he said, and fair enough, he couldn't recall certain things, but of this he was certain and a very proper police officer and a detective that clearly went by the book, and that is, if I'd received any information along those lines, I wouldn't keep it to myself, I would report it up the chain. He said, as it stood, I never received any information about the disappearance of Lynn Dawson. So it is a direct refute to evidence previously given that he in fact shared this titillating piece of information with his old schoolmate. Matthew Condon is a senior journalist with The Australian. One Senate seat. That's what Clive Palmer's $100 million investment in advertising and campaigning for the federal election has won the billionaire. His candidate, Ralph Babbitt, has picked up the final Victorian Senate spot. Results are finally in for the Senate, showing Pauline Hanson and former rugby union star, independent David Pocock, both winning six-year terms. That gives us a Senate with 32 Coalition MPs, 26 Labor, 12 Greens, two from One Nation, two Jackie Lambie Network, one from the UAP and one Independent, Senator Pocock. Don't forget, you can keep up with all the latest from politics and beyond at theaustralian.com.au. Access a world of true crime podcasts on CrimeX Plus, where award-winning journalists take a deep dive into unsolved cases. Every week, we're waking up to a dead woman, a dead mother, sister, auntie, grandmother. It's not good enough. From the team that brought you The Teacher's Pet, Shadow of Doubt and Dying Rose, unlock early, ad-free and bonus content from brand new series and flagship shows such as I Catch Killers with Gary Jubilin. One was shot in the mouth and I thought he was dead. Another one had been shot with a shotgun and I got the overspray. Search for Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts to start digging deep into the world of true crime.